Yeah, wonderful to be here this morning. Thank you so much for having me and for having us. Uh, we've known Jonathan for, for a while now, and uh, I think we've worked on various things. I think some of your youth have come to some of our, our events. We just think uh, you're a fantastic church here, and it really is a privilege to come and to speak and to share with you uh, this morning. Uh, as I say, what we do, uh, the message is, is so much, and uh, I'm not going to go through all of it. It did start with a little band called the Worldwide Message Tribe. Anyone remember those from the 90s? So that's where it all started. Oh, yeah, we've got some fans. Lovely. And, uh, and they were just a bunch of people based in Manchester who just said, we want to get into schools and tell people about Jesus. And, and the way that they did it was to, the music of the time was kind of rap and dance music, so that's what they did. Uh, some people might say they were good. But you know what? The favor of God was on them. The favor of God was on them. And actually, if you just take what you've got and you give it to God, he uses it in mighty ways. And mighty things were done and many, many opportunities to share the love of God happened. And then so really the message, trust, over the last 30 years has expanded and grown. And we use what, what I like to call different vehicles uh, to get in front of people. You kind of think back to the kind of Salvation Army days when they, you know, they literally would turn, buy the first ever Model T Fords and they turn up and gather a crowd. That was the vehicle to get them in front of people so that they would sit under the sound of the gospel. That's what we do. So the vehicle sometimes changes, the method changes, culture changes, but the gospel never changes, right? And so for 30 years, that's what we've been about. My privilege has been to be part of the message for the last 13 years in Manchester and now here in Wales. Uh, and we do all sorts of things, which I'm not going to talk about. There's just some of the stuff that we do here in Wales. But listen, if you want to know more, um, you can do two things. Grab one of these black uh, booklets, which are on the stand in the foyer at the end. That will give you a summary of what we do. And please grab it so you know what we're about and pray for us. We'd love you to be praying for us. And you can also grab this white one, which you'll see on the table, which is a prayer calendar, different things to pray for every month. And if you're feeling uh, really uh, inclined and so generous to want to support us financially, you can also sign up. Uh, Any regular amount will make a difference because that's another opportunity for us to share the gospel with people. And and the last thing I'll say before I get onto the talk is um, uh, we've got these uh, packs. I'm I'm not going to go through it all because that will take forever, but we love to bless you and we do see it as a partnership, not just me asking for your money. And so if you want to sign up to be a partner with us today, we'd love to give you a gift as well. And there's all loads of resources. There's some books. There's some CDs of some of our bands in here. There's uh, links to all sorts of talks. So that is uh, free to anyone who would like to sign up this morning to become a supporter of the message. I'll be at the back and I'll explain it all, um, but don't avoid me just because I've said, you know, I want you to sign up. Otherwise, you'll all be out the back there having a cup of tea and I'll be standing in the front on my own. So do come and say hi and come and ask a bit more about the work that we do or to um, volunteer to be. If you want to do a street pastor, um, you can come and join us on a shift anytime. Friday, Saturday nights, we go out into the city center uh, to share the love of God and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And uh, we are always looking for people to join us. So if you'd like to come out on a shift and see what it's all about, come and speak to us about that as well. Is that all right? Shall I move on? Crack on. We've done the plug. Yeah. I love that. A clap for the plug. Now we're going to get into the word of God. Um, So let's do that. This phrase here. This is where we're going to be sitting this morning. This may be a passage that you're familiar with, uh, or maybe one you haven't properly studied or looked at, but our prayer, and I hope that God would speak to us all 
and to just remind us again of the power that there is in the cross and what it meant for us today, the fact that we are only here today because of what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago. Those beautiful words that he spoke in Luke's gospel today, you will be with me in paradise. Those words are so powerful and so important because those words are words of hope. Those are words that give life. Those are words that that in our darkest moments and when we are suffering and when we are in despair and when we are going through tough times, we can cling on to something that is more powerful and more lasting than anything this world has to offer. And that is our hope in Jesus Christ and what he has done and what those words mean. And so I want to uh, look into uh, that and just remind us, to encourage us, to spur us on in our faith, if you have a faith here this morning, to spur us on in our faith, to keep going and just keep falling more in love with Jesus and what he's done for us. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're still working that out, if you're watching online and you're trying to figure out if, if this Jesus thing is for you, I hope that this morning God would speak to you through me. So just imagine the scene for a moment. So we're going to read the passage there, Luke 23, in a moment. So if you do have Bibles and want to pull them out, feel free. But just imagine that scene. I'm sure you'll know it well, where Jesus, after being betrayed and handed over to the Romans, who's been on trial, who's been tortured, who's been beaten, he's been ridiculed, and he's been sentenced to death. And then Jesus is taken up the hill And he's placed on that cross, and he's crucified there, hung as a a display for everyone to see, to, to mock, to ridicule, to show, look at this guy, he thought he was so important, and now he's just an object of ridicule for us to laugh at. There was obviously so much more going on. But you'll see even in that picture that I've put there on the screen, we remember that Jesus wasn't the only person who was crucified that day. And, and actually, I really want to focus this morning on those two guys, those two criminals who were crucified with Jesus. What's going on there? What is their story? I'd love to know. I'd lo- I'm, I'm, I'm too curious for my own good. I'd love to know, why are they there? What have they done? What crime is it that they've committed that meant that they deserved death and they were going to be crucified on that day? What on earth is going on in their lives that have led them to that point where the only option for them was to be put to death? What is going on in their story? And, and more importantly for us, why is their story in the Bible? Why are they there? They're not just a kind of little side point to what's going on. They have been included in this story for a reason, and God wants us to learn something from them. And so what is it that we can learn from these two criminals this morning? How is it that in that one moment, as they, as they hung on the cross either side of Jesus, that one encounter with Jesus had the power to change everything. Isn't that incredible? That, that, that moment of meeting Jesus had the power to change everything, or at least it did for one of them. They had the same encounter. They were both going through the same process. Maybe they committed the same crime. We don't know, but they were both there having the same encounter, but yet they had very different reactions, very different responses to their meeting of Jesus. And so they had very different outcomes. 
as to what happened next in their life. Let's read the passage together, shall we? Luke chapter 22, just reading from verses, from verse 39. So one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Same encounter, different responses, completely different outcomes. And for that second criminal, we'll see in a moment as we go through this passage, that when Jesus is involved, when Jesus gets involved in our lives, when Jesus is invited into our lives, when we give Jesus permission to come into our lives, it changes everything. It always does. It's impossible not to have an encounter with Jesus and go away the same. Even if you've decided to reject him completely, you're never the same when you've encountered the risen Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. My own experience and scripture tells us again and again that when you encounter Jesus, he's the only one who can take death and turn it into life. Even in this story we'll see where he's able to take these guys who are moments from death and be able to speak life into their situation. Only Jesus has the power to do that. Jesus takes something that is bad and is able to use it for good. We see that time and again in scripture, don't we? Jesus takes our sorrow and turns it into joy. Jesus takes the chaos around us or the chaos in us and he brings peace. When we encounter Jesus, he's the only one who can take what is broken and make it whole again. He's the only one who can take an orphan and say, you know what, you're now a son or a daughter of the king. Jesus takes the outcast and says, you are family. And here we see Jesus who takes a criminal and says to him, you're going to be a co-heir with Christ. You're going to go from being the lowliest in society to sitting at my right hand. How incredible. An encounter with Jesus changes everything. But only if we let it. Only if we let it. For one of them, There was rejection. They rejected Jesus. In this moment, he was rejected. But for another, hope was born. Let's look at these two criminals first, and then I'll make a final point about what Jesus says. So this first criminal who's on the cross, we don't know anything about him. Okay, we don't know anything apart from the fact that he's committed some sort of crime that has enabled him to be punished 
to death, and here he is on a cross next to Jesus. He is completely nameless, which I don't know if that's intentional or not. Often they do name people in the Bible for good reason, but he is nameless. He is literally defined by his biggest mistake in his life. He's just known as the criminal. Imagine if that was you. <laughs> Imagine if you know, someone else who knew you intimately was responsible for your tombstone, and they wrote on it, here lies Matt Walls, you know, adulterer, or here lies Matt Walls, gossiper, or, you know, put your own name there, or, you know, the worst mistake, the biggest thing you've done. I'm not saying that I've done those things, by the way. I just, that wasn't a confession. <laughs> well, probably gossiping quite a bit. But uh, just imagine, like, if that, that was the lasting legacy, this is written down in Scripture, and we have it still in our Bible today. Imagine if that was, that was how you were remembered by your biggest mistake, or worse still, like that's how people introduce you. Jonathan got, gets up and he says, oh, we've got a great speaker here today. It's Matt Walls, and uh, you know, he's a liar and a thief. Welcome, Matt, come and speak to us. Like, no, we wouldn't want that, would we? But that's what this criminal has got. He's got his biggest mistake laid out for us to see, and that's, that's how he's known, because in this guy's case, how he lived was how he died, he, he had opportunity, no doubt, throughout his life to change and to do things differently. And here on the cross, he has an opportunity to change when he meets Jesus face to face. But he chooses to continue to live the same life that he's had. In these words where this guy speaks, you hear the arrogance. You hear how proud he is, how stubborn he is. He refuses to even acknowledge the fact that he has made a mistake. I mean, how many of us do that, right? I've got two young boys, and it's always, you know, when they've, been, when they've done something wrong and they're in trouble, the first thing that they say isn't, oh, yeah, I've made a mistake, haven't I? I'm really sorry. The first thing they say is, but he did it too. Oh, but he started it. It's almost like, oh, Adam, Eve, Throughout Scripture, you and me, our natural defense response is to say, oh, but it wasn't me, it was them, or it's not my fault, it's because this. And that's what this guy is doing. His natural response isn't to go, oh, yeah, I'm on a cross. I've probably messed up. Maybe my life choices weren't so good after all. No, his response is to go, ah, look at you, you're on a cross. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And yet we're all guilty of doing it, aren't we? We all act that way when our backs are against a wall or we feel like we're being uh, you know, put in a corner. And in this moment, when he's actually in his greatest need, what does he do? Well, he mocks Jesus. He mocks him. He says, oh, look at you. Can't you save yourself? He wasn't the only one who said it, but he's there. Save yourself. Save us. Come on. You're supposed to be this, this uh, amazing, holy king of the Jews. Why aren't you saving us? And he's just mocking Jesus. While he's hanging on the cross himself. And in his moment of most need, he still continues to lash out. Friends, let's not kid ourselves that that is so often our reaction to. When we are in despair, how often do we hurt the people that we love around us? How often do we speak a sharp word when we're angry? to people who maybe it wasn't even their fault. Maybe they didn't even do anything. They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? How often do we, when we're actually really in need, we push God away? Or we blame God 
for our mistakes. So we blame God for the situations we find ourselves in. Oh God, if you'd only done this, then things would have been differently. That's not the response that we need to have when we come to Jesus. And hey, listen, here's the irony of the situation. He's mocking Jesus saying, save yourself and save us. But as Jesus hung on that cross, saving them was exactly what he was doing. You know, he, he, could have, he could have called a host of angels to come in that moment. He could have just stepped off the cross. He could have at any moment just changed the story, changed the narrative, stepped down off that cross. Because he was God, he could have done it. But Jesus knew but that by staying on the cross, saving them, was exactly what he was doing. Jesus, we read here, who had done no wrong. Jesus, who took on the punishment that that we deserve. You know, we deserve through our lives, through what we've done, through, for the, through the choices that we've made. None of us, none of us match up to the standards of God. All of us have fallen short of his standard, and we deserve, rightly so, we deserve to be punished. We deserve death. That is the ultimate punishment for sin and disobedience to God, right? We know this. And yet here is Jesus dying our death, so that we might have his life. Here he is, choosing to stay on the cross so that we could be saved. This man was so blind to the truth that was right in front of him that Jesus was saving him in that moment. He's so unrepentant, isn't he? But listen, let's not beat up him too much in this story because... That is us too, isn't it? Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. We're no better, and we're no worse, but we are no better than these criminals on the cross because we were still sinners when Jesus died for us. We don't deserve it. We are the criminals in this story. I don't know if you, when you picture the, uh, the painting of Jesus on the cross and the crowds gathered around and the Roman soldiers, the disciples flee. I don't know where you picture yourself in that scenario, but we are the criminals on that cross unless, until we have an encounter with Jesus. And that's when we get to the second story, the second criminal in this story. Same encounter, completely different response. It's amazing. His eyes in this moment, are open. His eyes, he meets Jesus and his eyes are open. In his moment of despair, in his moment of need, he suddenly sees clearly, maybe, maybe for the first time, and it changes everything for him. Now, I know uh, some scholars, some theologians will kind of wrestle with this passage uh, uh, and really dig into like, you know, what is salvation? What are the kind of the, the basics of what you need to do to become a Christian, to be a believer, to have eternal life? And, and this, this guy really flies in the face of a lot of what theologians have tried to wrestle with being the right thing or the wrong thing. And we're not really going to dig into that too much. But I think in these few words of what this criminal says, there's three things going on. There's the reality 
of God. He suddenly understands that God is real, that he sees himself as a sinner and that Jesus is king. And I think that was probably enough. I think Jesus saw his heart in that moment. And he said, you know what? You may have lived a terrible life. You may not get everything yet. You may not have read the whole Bible yet. You might not have gone through our discipleship program yet. But you have got the essence of what it means to know God, to know yourself and your place in this world. And that's why Jesus says what he does at the end. Let me just unpack that real quickly for us. His eyes opened in this moment in these few words that he speaks. The first thing that the second criminal says is the first one's mocking Jesus. The second one says, don't you fear God? Now, just to kind of understand that, you don't fear something that isn't real. You don't fear, you don't fear something that you don't believe in, right? You don't fear in a God if you don't think that there is a God, it has no power and authority over you and in your mind and in your life. If you think that, that, that we're all, you know, if you're agnostic, if you're atheist, if you think there's no God in this world, then you're not going to be worried about what God thinks or what God does. But this guy recognizes and acknowledges in his statement here that there is a God, and there's a God who, who loves us, but also a God who, who we should be, uh, have that holy reverential fear of. A fear of his awesomeness and his power and his holiness and his majesty. And so this criminal who's hanging on the cross for his own sins, for his own crimes, turns and says, don't you fear God? I think he does. I think in those words we recognize that he does. He recognizes the reality of the fact that God is real and he is worthy to be feared. Second thing he says is, he says, we, me and you, the other criminals, we are being punished justly. We are getting what we deserve. First criminal, no remorse, no repentance, no acknowledgement of his sin. Second criminal, we're being punished justly. Now, if there's not a confession of faith that, or a confession of, of the fact that he recognizes that he's a sinner, I don't know what is. You know, for, for all of us to, to know God, it, it, these things are so important that we first of all need to acknowledge and recognize that, that there is a God and that, that if there is a God, that we, our response and our relationship to God is that, oh, we've messed up. I've made mistakes. I am a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God, of his standards. So many people, that's the stumbling block, isn't it? So many people think, well, I'm a good person, or I'm better than they are, or I don't need God. And there's that unwillingness to accept the fact that they are a sinner. But here he is, hanging on a cross, saying, this is what we deserve. We've messed up. We did wrong. The punishment fits the crime. Because of what I've done in life, I deserve death. That's what he says. And then finally, he says, and I love this. I really love this. He, see, he recognizes God is real. He recognizes himself as a sinner. And then he turns to Jesus and says those words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What is that about? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So there's a couple of things going on there, isn't there? First of all, the remember me is spoken by a man dying on a cross 
to a man who is dying on a cross. Okay, the end game here is clear. They are about to die. And so knowing that death is what is inevitable hours or minutes away, and then he says, remember me. So this criminal has got something of a knowledge, something in his head, something of an understanding that death is not the end. You don't, if you're about to die, there's not a lot of point you're trying to remember me after that, if there isn't an after that. He knows that God is real, and he knows that there is life after this death. We're going somewhere when we die. You know that, right? We are going somewhere when we die. There is something happening. Jesus didn't just die so that we could have a a relationship with him here on earth, but so that we could have an eternity with him in heaven. He recognizes that he's going somewhere. So he says, remember me. But remember me where? where why? What? what what's, the, what's the context of remembering me? So when, when Jesus has died and gone to this other place, when you're there, I want you to remember me in that place, this place which is a kingdom. But more than that, this place is your kingdom. Your kingdom. Whose kingdom? Well, who owns the kingdom? Who rules the kingdom? The king rules the kingdom, right? It's his kingdom. So in these words, when he says, remember me when you go to your kingdom, he's saying, we're about to die, and you're going to a better place where you rule, where you are the king of that other place. I don't know if he understood all of the theology. Let me tell you, I don't know that I understand all of the theology of it. You might not understand all of the theology of it, but I know this. He had faith in Jesus that he was the king and that he was going to a better place where he would rule and reign in his kingdom. And so in the context of that phrase, in that context of that understanding, he says to Jesus, when you go into your kingdom, remember me. Now, he's not just saying, like, oh, you know, have fond memories. He's kind of saying, like, is there a place for me? Will you, will you remember me? Will I just cease to exist? Will I go somewhere else? Or, 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 or will I be acknowledged in your kingdom? Is there a place for me, Jesus, in your kingdom? A criminal hanging on a cross who is, as far as we know, has done nothing to deserve what Jesus has to offer. And he turns to him and says, is there a place for me in your kingdom, Jesus? And of course, we know there is. If that was the end of the story, it would be quite a nice uh, illustration, maybe a good moral lesson. But Jesus speaks. And that's my final point this morning. Because when Jesus speaks, remember, everything changes. When one criminal decides to mock Jesus and effectively turn his back on him, the second criminal says, is there a place for me? And as he embraces Jesus, the love of Jesus, who Jesus is, himself as a sinner, God is real, as he he acknowledges all of that in these few short words, Jesus speaks and changes everything. Because when Jesus speaks, it brings hope. And he says, today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, again, we're not going to get into all of the eschatology of what's going on there, but, but um, 
I just love that Jesus here, humanly speaking, is at his weakest. He's at his, he's at his most vulnerable. He is humiliated. He's broken. He's beaten. He's moments away from death. And yet, who else but Jesus can say with absolute authority and complete power to say, this is not the end for you? Who else but Jesus could say with absolute power and complete authority, today you'll be with me in paradise? For that second criminal, however long he's lived and whatever's gone in his life, in that moment on the cross, hope is born. Something has changed. And hope, it really is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Hope is such a wonderful thing. Hope gives us something to cling on to. Where there is hope, there is, there is life. Where there is hope, there is meaning, there's purpose. There's, there's a reason to fight, there's a reason to get up in the morning. Where there's hope, there's, there's reason to endure and to persevere. Even when we're suffering, hope gives us comfort. Hope gives us the peace. It gives us a perspective that, you know what? This momentary suffering, it's not the end. It won't last forever. There's all eternity to look forward to still. Hope gives us something to cling on to, and that something is found in Jesus. Our faith in Jesus is not in vain. Our hope in him will not disappoint Without Jesus, we're broken. But with Jesus, just like the criminal here, we're restored into the family of God, co-heirs with Christ, welcomed in. Without Jesus, we too are, are pretty desperate, let's face it. But with Jesus, we have a destiny. Without him, we're outcasts, but with him, we're family. Without Jesus, there really is no hope. But with Jesus, there is hope. There's a message of hope. Without Jesus, death is all that remains. But with Jesus, there is life. Life here and now, abundant life. It's not just about the, the glory of what's coming and what we get to have for all eternity. There's an abundance of life that comes with knowing Jesus and having him at the center of our lives as we live our lives for him and with, with a perspective and the lens of looking at the world with Jesus' eyes. Abundant life here and now and eternal life forevermore. That's the hope that we have today. So let me finish by simply asking you a simple question. Where is your hope this morning? Because if it's in anything other than Jesus, it is a hope that is in vain, that will rot and will disappear, and it will not last. Anything other than hope in Jesus, and we're chasing pipe dreams. Whether, that's, whether we're talking about our jobs or you know, our families or our legacy, whether we're talking about our health, whether we're talking about you know, our, our status in the world, whatever it is, I talk about our, the money that we accrue and the jobs that we have, none of that stuff will last. But a hope in Jesus will not disappoint. A hope in Jesus will never disappoint. Like the criminal on the cross, do you see Jesus for who he is? Do you call on his name? Do you put your hope in him? 
Maybe you do. I'm sure many of you do uh, and know Jesus like that. But it's so good to be reminded again, isn't it? That if it wasn't for Jesus, we too would be there on the cross. Our sins put on display and we would deserve death. But because of the encounter that we had with Jesus, our lives have been turned around. And, and my, my plea to you and my plea to everyone that I meet is that this message of hope is not just for you, but it is for everyone. Because having known Jesus, if you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, if you've recognized that you're a sinner and you've asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sins and to put him in the driving seat of all that you do, if that is you, then we are given this mission, this mandate to go and take that message of hope to the rest of the world. That's why I do what I do and what we do at Message Wells. And it's what you should be doing as church, as the body of Christ. We're a city on a hill, aren't we? We're a, a, a light on the hill that is meant to shine for all to see so that they may too hear and know that there is hope in Jesus. So why don't I pray that we could live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. And if you don't know Jesus, well, perhaps now's a chance, like this guy, to say, you know what? I want you. Will you have me? And you can say that in confidence, knowing in confidence that he will say yes. No one's too far. No one's too far removed. No one's done things that are too, too wrong that he doesn't not want to have you in his family. So let's pray. As we bring this to an end, then I'll hand back to John. Yeah, God, I, I don't know if my words have made any sense whatsoever this morning, but I pray again, Lord, that you would have had your way in what has been said and what has been shared. Pray there would have been uh, eyes being opened and, and revelations being had. And, and I pray, God, Jesus, even now, you would be speaking to people's hearts, reminding us, uh, both of the fact that we are sinners, let's not get above ourselves. But thanks be to God that you paid the price on the cross for each and every one of us. Jesus, you took on our death that we might have life in you and eternal life with you. We thank you so much for that. We praise you, God, for what you've done and what you're doing. Please, Lord, continue to outwork this, this message of hope in us, that when we are struggling or down on our luck or feeling despair, we would just simply lift our eyes again to you, Jesus, and be reminded all over again of the hope and the joy and the love and the peace of God, which is beyond our understanding, that it would guard our hearts and minds in you, Christ Jesus. And that we might take that message of hope into a world that is so desperate and in need of knowing you. Thank you, God.